Welcome to the Relentless Minds podcast with Lori Jimenez, a platform where influential entrepreneurs get real and share their stories of challenges in life that they've had to face head on and conquer in order to be where they are today. Here, you'll get an inside look at the adversities that these individuals have experienced or are currently dealing with, in addition to their opinions on real life matters and philosophies in life. Most importantly, you'll learn what it takes to have a relentless mind so that you too can stay headstrong in your pursuit of a better future. In this podcast, you're going to get 100% authenticity from people that have figured out how to beat the noise that society creates and have a higher level of self-mastery. Welcome to the Relentless Minds podcast. Today I have with me Jimmy DeFalco. Jimmy is a TEDx speaker, consultant, and coach where he has dedicated his life to helping entrepreneurs create positive change through self-mastery. Jimmy is also a recovering addict who grew up in a Wolf of Wall Street environment, which we'll dive into today. Jimmy, thank you so much for being on. Hey, thank you, Lori. It's my pleasure. Great. Thank you so much. I truly appreciate you taking the time being here and sharing your story with us. I know it's going to inspire a lot of people because you've been through some crazy, crazy shit. (laughs) Tell us, take us back, um, because I don't want to take your spotlight. You're going to be able to explain everything better um take us back to how you were raised the background you come from yeah definitely so like you said Lori, thank you for the kind introduction um you know i grew up in like a wolf of wall street type of environment so my father you know he was making millions of dollars each and every year but he also partied with alcohol you know strippers hookers cocaine most of the time um, and other hardcore drugs and a lot of it was done in front of me And it quickly shaped, you know, my belief system of what, you know, a man was and, you know, how he should conduct himself. Because he wasn't like, you know, living in a trailer park on food stamps. Like I saw my father and he was, you know, riding around in limos and yachts and doing whatever he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it. And so I looked at him and I was like, I want to be just like that. You know, my father gave me my first seven. Um... Uh, he actually, it, when I was 14 years old, we went to New York and he took me to a World Series game. The Yankees lost. I'm all upset. And to cheer me up, instead of, you know, taking me for ice cream or, you know, taking me to a toy store, you know, R.A. Schwartz or whatever, he got me drunk and he bought me a New York City hooker. Oh, my God. At 14 years old. <gasps> 14. Yeah, at 14. And then when I was done, like he went in after me, my little 10 year <gasps> my little 10-year-old brother saw saw everything. Like so my 10-year-old brother was like on the couch and like she danced for like my 10-year-old brother and like and everything. Oh so, my god, you're talking legit. Yeah, so like this like when I say wolf of when I say wolf of Wall Street, um like I'm not I'm not lying. Like my dad may have made and not may have not made as much money as Jordan Belfort but he was probably a little fucking crazier than him. So like quickly, that quickly shaped my belief system. Like, okay, when I was upset, you know, get drunk and have sex or get drunk and just alter your state of mind some way that immediately solidified. That's what you do when you're upset, you party. So, you know, as I kept on going um, through high school, I was the party kid. It was like DeFalco, you know, I drank a lot always kind of like blacking out from time to time. Um, I went to Florida State University and the blackouts started to get really bad. Um, 
I don't know if you can, you can see like this tooth is a little shorter than that one uh, yes. because it, it's an implant because gotcha. your teeth actually grow. So I didn't know that until like a few years ago, but um, right before I graduated Florida state, my buddy gives me a Xanax. We're going out to the club to party. I popped it. Um, and I get kicked out of the club and I wake up the next morning and I think fine. I, I go take a piss real quick. I go in front of the mirror, I'm stretching and I look in the mirror and I notice my whole tooth is gone. Just like completely gone. Like it was like part of the hangover. Like I grabbed my face. I was like, ah, oh. you know, and literally no one knows what happened. Like they think I fell on a table and smashed my mouth, but yeah. everyone else was outside. I was inside. No one knows what happened. So you would think that would start to like change my decision patterns, but mm-hmm. it really didn't. So I continued to do my thing. And then once I did graduate from Florida state, that was in 2008, uh, my whole life was mapped out. I knew where I was going, how I was going to get there. Right. I was going to start working for my father, take over the company. I was going to make more money, you know, do more drugs and get with more girls than he ever did. Like it, my whole life was mapped out. I couldn't wait for that type of life. And in 2008, the market crashed and my father lost everything like within six to 12 months, all the houses, the cars, the boats, like the status, the lifestyle, all of it gone, like in the blink of an eye. And it was really difficult time on everyone in the family, but especially on me, you know, I have two younger brothers and two younger sisters. I'm the oldest of five. So my, my dad came to me and he's like, I have to shut the company down. I have too much bad debt. You have to open up a company in your name. And back in my head, I was like, you know, this is probably not a good idea because I saw the destructive pattern he was going down. Um, but, you know, I had to provide, there was the only source of income for my mom and my brothers and sisters who were in middle and high school. So I kind of felt obligated to do that for the family. I did. Um, my dad was in and out of jail for the next like 18 months. My brother ended up going to prison for three years. He started shooting up heroin. Um, you know, and it was just a crazy, crazy time. Um, I remember actually talking to clients cause I'm a 21 year old kid. I don't really know much about the business. I'm, I had my dad on one phone from jail, a client on the other phone. And I'm like talking to both of them. He's telling me like what to say and what to do at 21 from, from jail, from jail, uh, telling you how to run a business. Yeah. Yeah. Pr- pretty much. Wow. So um, about 18 months later, we're barely getting by. We have a few employees. We're not doing well. You know, my dad's fucked up all the time. And he actually, that's at this point, at this point, he introduced me to Colazepam, which is pretty much Xanax. It's the generic form of Xanax. And he's like, yeah, but you don't, you don't take it in your mouth. You crush it up and you snort it. Like, that's what he taught me to do. So I was so stressed out at the time. Once I snorted that first Xanax, I'm like, ah, oh, that feels better. Like it was just such, yeah. it was such a relief. Cause it's I was so, anxiety. yeah, I was so bugged out. So uh-huh. he gave me the name to his doctor. I went to his doctor and I got a script of 60 um, a month. So that kind of started my use of, of pills right there. Wow. Um, and a few weeks later, I get a letter in the mail from the IRS and all of a sudden, the letter says that I owe an excess of $40,000 in payroll taxes. So what? I was just kind of managing the sales aspect of things. 
my father was running the company, even though it technically, technically still mine. Yeah. So I owed that 40 grand. So I quickly shut down the company. This threw my father into a rage. I had to block his number because he kept on calling me, telling me how he's going to kill me. And so a few weeks later, <laughs> um, a few weeks later, I'm sleeping after a night of partying, of course. And it's like 6 a.m. And I hear, boom, where is he? Where is he? And I knew immediately it was my dad coming to fight me. Like I, I knew immediately. And I was scared of my dad my whole life. He's like a stocky Italian. He was a professional boxer, you know, when he was younger. So I was always scared of him, but I'm like, you know what? He's getting older. I'm getting, I'm going into my prime. Like I can't be scared of him forever. Like you can take him on. (laughs) So I remember walking out. I'm like, I'm right here, motherfucker. He comes, he swings at me. I remember I duck and I grab him in a headlock. And remember, this is my father. So like, I don't really want to fight him. I'm more of like defending myself at this point. So I kind of just like, a few little jabs and i remember i never forget like the look in his eyes i'm sure he was up for days like smoking crack and he looks at me he goes that's all you got motherfucker and that's when i just started throwing haymakers just boom boom and at this point my neighbor or my roommate had an aggressive pit bull so the pit bull jumps up and he bites a hole through the top of my ear. I'm not oh, sure if you can see through that. I think I see a dent. Yeah. So like, it looked like I oh, had like a, yes. a big piercing. Like his canine, his canine went right through the top. Thank God he didn't grab my neck or my face or, you know, I might not be here today. Oh my God. So after that, we, I'm bleeding everywhere. My dad's bleeding. There's blood everywhere. I literally, he's knocked out cold at this point. I pick him up from under, this is my father. I had to pick him up from under his arms drag him to the driveway and call the cops on him and the cops eventually picked him up i didn't talk to him for five or six years or so we have a decent relationship now but that's because now i come from a place of understanding instead of judgment you know i've kind of understood the way he was raised and he kind of didn't know any better but we can get more into that later so at this point in my life you know i'm i'm in way victim mode right why me playing the victim, playing the blame game, um, and not taking any responsibility for the situation that I've created for myself. You know, like maybe the first thing, like the, the economy crashing and my family losing everything, maybe that wasn't my fault. But every single thing after that, you know, that was a decision I made. Those were actions I took. And just because something is not your fault doesn't mean it's not your responsibility to rectify it. Like if you're abused as a kid, you know, that's not your fault, but it's your responsibility not to continue that cycle with your children. Right. So I always like to say like, and at this point in my life, there's always three things that you can control, right? Like no matter, no matter how good, how bad, or in the middle your life is, there's always three things you can always have control of and no one can take them away from you. And that is what you focus on, what things mean to you, or like the story you tell yourself about events next. Those are always decisions that we have. And I chose at this point to focus on everything my family has lost. Repeat that third one. So you said Um, what you focus on, the things that you tell yourself. Yeah, the story you tell yourself about the events, like the meaning you attach to Uh those events. And the third one? What you do next. What you do next. And number three is dictated by the first two. You know, whatever you're focused on and whatever the story you tell yourself, you know, it's going to change what you do next. And I always like to tell all the clients that I work with that, you know, 
our life, we're, we're writing it in pencil as we go, right? If we have a story or if we have something that's not self-serving to us, you know, we can flip the pages back a little bit. We have a fat ass eraser on the end of that pencil. We can erase that story and we literally have the ability to create a new story for ourselves and like how we view ourselves in the world. And so that's a major paradigm shift right there. But again, at the time I was choosing to focus on everything my family had lost. So I thought this meant that God hated us, that we were the most unlucky family in the world. So I chose to party my ass off to change the way I felt about my current circumstances. I moved to downtown Orlando in a high rise. I had a decent job at the time. I was making decent money. And I would just drink every Thursday through Sunday, just party my face off. And, and then I started to get into cocaine because I was blacking out a lot because I was taking the, the clozapam, the Xanax, with the drinking. So I was like, oh, well, I'm blacking out a lot. So the cocaine will help me from not black out. Oh my God. So like, I'm just mixing and matching all of these Instead drugs. Instead of stopping altogether. Yeah, yeah. The stopping that, wasn't an option. Like that's how I identified myself. Yeah, you yeah. obviously have a very addicting personality. Yeah, that's how I identified myself. So, so at that point, I'm partying downtown and the girl that I'm dating at the time, uh, the mother of my two children now, we're not together anymore, but she gets pregnant. And I was, I was, I lost, I, I, you know, was so scared at the time because I couldn't even take care of myself, you know, let alone a child. But I ended up trying to do, you know, thing. we ended up moving into, you know, a suburb outside of Orlando in a nice house, literal white picket fence, like screened in patio. Again, like I should have been happy, but I was in like compare mode. So I was comparing like my life to everyone else's. And I knew I really wasn't in love with this woman. And I just, I just found myself like in a, in a really dark place, even though like I I should have been happy looking back on it. So again, you know, I was already taking the Xanax. My neighbor had Oxycontin and I've taken Oxycontin here and there a few times. Um, But I saw what it did to my brother, how it sent him to prison. So I told myself I would never like really get into it, into it. But at this stage of my life, I'm feeling sorry for myself, playing the victim, playing the blame game. And I decided, you know, to just, ah, I'll, I'll just snort one tonight, you know? And that turned into just on the weekends to the weekdays. And then soon I needed a pill every three to four hours or I would be dope sick. And for those people who don't know dope sick, it's basically just physical withdrawals, you know, stomach pains, sweating, cold sweats, um, things like that. So eventually, and at this point in my life, you know, my money's running out. I'm lying. I'm cheating. I'm stealing from everybody I know and love. Like I had no conscious, none. Like all I cared about each day was like waking up like, okay, how am I going to get like 80 bucks today to get high? Yep, You were in in survival mode Yeah, at that point. Yeah, that's all I cared about. So eventually my girl saw what was going on at the time and she sent me to rehab. She didn't even know I was on the Oxycontin at the time because every time she see me like falling asleep, standing up, I would just blame it on the Xanax. So eventually I told her when I got to rehab and rehab was a really tough time for me. Like I almost got kicked out the first week. The director's like, that's it. You're out of here. Like, cause I didn't want to be there. Um, I remember I hated myself so much. I had to put a towel up on the, up on my mirror in my bathroom just because I just hated myself. I didn't want to be there. But then eventually after about a week, I, kind of, and I realized this is what I needed. 
And I started to get into the recovery aspect of things and actually buy into it a little bit, like the 12 step AA program. Um, I get out of rehab and, um, you know, I thought I was going to be good. Right. Where it was a really tough time though. So like, I'm literally staying in a motel because I got kicked out of my house because I couldn't work or pay the bills. So we got evicted from the house. We're staying in like a motel with my one and, and a guys, half. Yeah. You have a child. Yeah. With a one and a half year old son. So it was a really tough time, but I stayed positive and eventually we moved into a condo together, a nice condo in a nice area of town. And, but again, then I started the comparison game again. I was looking at all my friends getting married, going on these vacations to Hawaii and all these luxurious places. And I was worried about how the hell I was going to fill my fridge with food, you know? So again, I went to the victim mentality, started comparing myself. Why me? Poor me. And still, it was still not my fault. It was still God, the economy, my father. Uh, I was not to blame at all. I deserved to get high. Like, look what I've been through. Look at all the things that happened to me. Like, I deserve uh, that. To you, right? Yeah, yeah. To look, me. Look at all the things that happened. Poor me. Who, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was my mentality. And so I literally, I, I started using again. And eventually, you know, my girl saw what was going on. And she kicks me out of the house again. And at this point in my life, everyone's done with me, like done. No one wants anything to do with me. The only person that would take me in was my father. And looking back on it, I should have just went to the streets. Um, because my father bought like an ounce of Coke, a whole bunch of pills. Oh and like, we just got high together for a week straight. Um, I went into my job so inebriated that... I was set home and I woke up at like one o'clock in the afternoon later that day. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going to get fired. I didn't go in today. My dad's like, you went in and they sent you home. Like I actually oh. drove there and back. Didn't remember. You didn't remember anything. No, like so terrible. And at this point I couldn't even stand one second of being sober. I would literally wake up and like go snort a pill, like, and then go back to sleep. I would wake up, snort a pill, maybe take a chug of alcohol and go back to sleep just because I couldn't stand myself. I couldn't stand the life I've created. Hmm. And I, I'm like, all right, it can't get any worse than this. Like this is rock bottom, right? Until so I get a phone call from Julie and she says- And Julie is? My, yeah, my, my uh, son's mother. Okay, gotcha. Um, so she's pregnant again and- I couldn't believe it. I was so mad at God, like it was his fault or something, right? I'm like, I remember falling to my knees and being like, like, why? Like, why are you doing this to me, God? Like, why? And I was screaming and crying and just yelling at him like it was all his fault. But I want everyone listening to realize like it wasn't God. It wasn't my father. It wasn't the economy. It wasn't anything. It was simply, you know, the decisions I made and the actions that I took that led me to where I was that day. But at this point, I, I didn't see it that way, right? Um, I started slitting my wrists. Oh my goodness. Because like, I, I wasn't really gonna kill myself, but I think it was like a cry for help more than anything. Um, my friends, you know, I told my friend about it. And in Florida, if you're a harm to yourself or a harm to others, they can Baker Act you in a mental health facility, pretty much. The cops come, you're not doing anything illegal, but you're a harm to yourself. So they come and they put you in a mandatory hold uh, for 72 hours in a mental health facility. So then I find myself 
in a mental health facility with people talking to nobody, with people banging their heads against the wall. And I'm just like, oh my God, like, is this my life? Like, you know, is this what, is this my, the rest of my existence? And in there, I finally, like, people always ask me, like, how did you change? Like, what, yeah. what, what brought it on? And this was kind of the changing point, like allowing me to sober up a little bit for those 72 hours. Something happened to where I finally started associating like the decisions I made to the position that I was in. And that pain, it was like my hair still stand up on my head because it's easier in the short term to blame other people, right? To blame other things. It's easier in the short term. But then again, you're just going to continue the cycle. You know, I call it the blame cycle. Like if you have a bad outcome and you blame some, someone, you know, you're not going to learn. You're going to feel like your life is out of control. You're going to feel helpless because you're not the one creating the outcomes of your life anyway, right? If you're blaming someone else, so you're literally telling your mind that your decisions don't matter. Yeah, you're out of, con- you're, you have no control over that, <laughs> that situation. So why, yeah, so why should you be the one to change? Why yeah. should you change your decision making? If you're not in control anyway, I might as well keep on snorting pills and doing stupid shit because mm-hmm. I wasn't in control anyway. So I would just get fucked over anyway. So what was the point? Mm-hmm. And so then you just keep on making the same decisions. But once I accepted that accountability, so you have a bad outcome, you accept accountability for it. Like you experience deep hurt in the short term, right? Yep. But you learn, you grow, you develop. Absolutely. And even though something bad just happened, you have a sense of control right? Mm-hmm. Like bad things still happen in my life today, but I'm like, Hmm, like if I wouldn't have done that last week or last month or even last year, yeah. I wouldn't be experiencing this, this right now. So uh-huh. instead of getting mad and throwing shit dead, like I used to do, I'm like, Hmm, okay. Now I know to make a different decision the next time and I'll have a better outcome. So that pain that I experienced in that Baker Act facility was really kind of the, the launching point to me yep. changing. I'm like, fuck, like I've created this, not anybody else, me. Yep. And it hurt so bad. I didn't want to feel that hurt anymore. And mm-hmm. I, I knew that if I kept on the path I was on, I would be dead or in prison and my sons would follow in the same footsteps. So that was another huge motivating factor is your, your children, yeah. I, my children. I saw the impact that my father had on me. I didn't want to have that type of impact on my kids. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's super powerful because you went from a position like you were feeling pain in both circumstances. You felt pain from the life that you were living. And then when you in when you face the truth that you were in that situation because of your own decisions, you felt a lot of pain, too. But in one circumstance, you felt like you didn't have control over the matter. And in the other, you realize that it was all bec- it was all because of you and the decisions that you were making. And even though there was so much pain, and I think people need to realize that it's like once you took responsibility for those actions and your current and your circumstances at that time, it, even though it was painful, you then realize that you could also change that because you were now in control. Yes, That's and I, I was experiencing powerful. eight or nine years of pain, and I never changed because I was blaming that pain on others. But so it's either you can, you know, play the blame game and experience pain over and over and over again, you know, in the long term, or you can accept accountability and responsibility for your actions, you know, feel that pain for that day or two, learn and then move on. So you're going to experience pain either way, but do you want it just for a day or two, or do you want to experience it constantly throughout your whole life? 
Oh my goodness. And so when it comes to the point where you were like, no more, like I can't take this anymore and I need to change. Like it wasn't even your, your deepest, darkest point because at that point you were still like blaming everybody. It was really, really just the time when you were in this mental health facility, you were sober for three days and you were able to then actually look at things logically and realistically. Yeah. Somewhat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much. Wow. And so like, I think it's so powerful and incredible that you were able to make a shift because you had a background since you were young. Like your father was the one who introduced this lifestyle to you, right? What yeah. was it? Like, how were you able? And so was it your, was it the fact that then you had your kids? Like you wanted to be a different dad for them that made you think like, I, I don't want to be that type of father figure for my children. Yeah. So I remember the one time that Julie caught me using the pills when she, before she kicked me out, I actually had my two-year-old son in the back seat going to my dealer's house in the fucking ghetto to get pills. And I remember looking back at him. I remember, I remember the saint. I remember the outfit he was wearing. I remember the haircut he had. I remember everything about that moment. And I remember, cause Julie told me like one more time, like you're out of here. I remember looking back at him and like looking up at the road. I was at a red light, obviously looking back at him looking up at the road, like Wang, him or drugs, him or drugs. Ah, fuck it. She'll never find out. And so I replayed that in my head over and over and over. And each time I replayed it, it hurt worse and worse and worse. And I just replayed it so much. And I felt so much pain. I was like, that's it. I I can't do this anymore. I don't want to put my family through this. I don't want to put myself through this. So I actually used that pain like as my launching point to change. I want to go back a little bit just uh, before we move forward into your transformation, because it's freaking incredible. You're complete. I would have never thought that you have the background that you do um, when I first met you. Um, When it comes to your dad and the upbringing that he, like the life that he gave you basically that you didn't have a choice on. um, When it came to your mom, was she in the picture? Yeah, my mom was in the picture, but she kind of, they divorced um, right before I went into ninth grade, right? Basically because she couldn't handle antics anymore, right? And she didn't know any of this stuff was going on behind the scenes. Mm. Like we were in New York when he got me the hooker, you know? Um, You know, she didn't know any of this stuff was going on. So like literally when I started about two years ago, when I started to do this, yeah. You know, I got my whole family in a room and I was like, yo, like, I'm going to give you a speech. And I told my mom all this shit. Like she was in tears. She's like, I'm, uh, so, I'm so sorry. It's all my fault. And I'm like, no, it's not your fault. And don't be sorry because I don't regret anything that I went through because it, it's gotten me to where I am today. And if I didn't go through that and let's say I just did take the company, I would be a functioning drug addict, like just running a big company, doing drugs and having meaningless sex and you know, trying to fill a void that would never be filled with, with substances and women. That's true. Yeah. You wouldn't be where you are today. If you had to hit that, that, you know, bottom so that you could get up and you can actually start doing something with your life. But yeah, I was going to ask you, like, did she ever find out what you're. Yeah. Like I'm an open book now. Like she, you know, I tell everybody my story, everybody, the deepest and darkest parts. Um, I feel, you know, I, I have to, but most feedback I get is that I'm authentic, you know? Yeah. That's what I appreciate. And I appreciate yeah. That's why I'm like, everything that you're sharing is like complete authenticity and vulnerability. Yeah. When so, come, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, no, sorry. 
Now I was going to say when it came to you changing, like everything, like from that point where you started then to hold yourself accountable and take responsibility for your decisions. And now basically the life of your child too, or your children, right? Moving forward. Like how are you able to make those changes? Because that is, I mean, I've, I've done this stuff myself, like the belief systems that you have to reprogram, right? Mm. And create a whole new you, basically, and your, with, your, with the things that you, your perspectives in life. Like, how was that and how did you manage to do it? So, you know, I think, first of all, the first, I have like five, five core concepts to mastering your mindset and creating change, right? So their accountability getting clear on your vision and building your confidence to be able to take action on it, visualization and the manipulation of the subconscious mind, uh, fitness and faith. So I already talked about, you know, accountability. It gives you control and change, ACC, you know, like accountability equals control and change. So that's the first one. The second one, and I didn't know any of this as I was doing it. Like after about 18 months, and then I'll, and I'll tell you about the concepts. After about 18 months, I got everything back. I had a car, I had a house. Um, I had my second son, me and the, my girl at the time were doing really well. And, but I was still like, is this it? I was like, I got through all of that, like to work a fucking job and come home and, and just like that, like there has to be more. So I started asking myself, like, what's my passion? What's my purpose? What am I meant to do with my life? And a lot of people never find that answer because they never ask the question, Right. They never ask themselves. And if they do, they ask it once and then stop. Oh, I, didn't, I, I couldn't figure it out. But I started asking myself each and every day, just even spending 30 seconds thinking about it. And if you do, then your subconscious mind, even when you're sleeping, even when you're not thinking about it, your subconscious mind will start searching for answers. So after about a few weeks or a month of asking that question, it finally hit me like, boom. Like when I was screaming at God, asking him why, like this is why. Like, what I'm doing right now, sharing my story with you and some of your listeners and hopefully ch changing someone's life. Like, that's why, like I, it hit me. Like, I'm like, how did I not see it before? Like, this is why this is what I'm meant to do with my life. And like, literally in an instant, I made a decision. I was going to become a speaker and a coach. And so then I kind of backtracked. I'm like, so like, how did I make this change? You know? Yes. And so I had to backtrack and kind of, come up with these concepts because I yeah. was like winging it. Like I didn't know what I, was, what I was doing at the time. You're going with feel and then you're just like kind of going with what feels right. And then now you got to realize like, hey, there's actually a, a, a process to it. Now you have to yeah. figure out the process. Yeah, exactly. Create, I'm like, all right, create, what did I do? <laughs> yeah, you create the structure so that you can guide people through it. Yeah, I know it. Absolutely. Exactly. So so, and the second one, like I said, is getting clear on your vision and, and taking, building your confidence, take action. And what I want to really hammer down on for your listeners is, you know, when people want to create change, they like, they're like, okay, well, I'm going to do these big and massive things and I'm going to change everything about my life and it's going to be incredible. No one's going to notice me in 60 days. Like that never works, Right you have to start small. You got to start small. So like almost instinctively, I guess, like I started waking up like at five o'clock every morning. I started going to the gym every day. I started reading a little bit more instead of watching Netflix. I started, you know, keeping my house and my car like clean all the time, which I never did. And I know these don't seem like big things, but over 45, 60, 90 days, 
of waking up at five. When I used to tell myself, I'm not a morning person. I can't wake up that early. I just, that's not me. You know, we all tell ourselves, you know, we all have these self-limiting beliefs or like I said earlier, these stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves that just aren't true. You know, we, we feel them to be true, but once you start breaking through some of them, some of those limiting beliefs, like something clicks and you're like, Hmm, like that wasn't that fucking hard. Like, yep. What else? I wonder what else I could, what else I'm lying to myself about. Exactly. What I say is that we know it's, those are things that we know to be true based on our experiences and what we've seen, Mm -hmm. but it's not reality. Right. Like, so there's a big difference. And when you were talking about making these changes, these things that you've never done before and how powerful they are, they're very powerful because the thing is that like people are, they have, they develop routines, right? And so you kind of do the same thing every single day in, in certain aspects. When you start to implement new things, you start to disrupt those patterns and start to incorporate new habits, which will make you feel like, you know, you can start to, to develop new things and have a new way of living and stuff like that. So you start, you just have to disrupt that routine in certain ways by incorporating mm-hmm. different things into your life. And then it like opens doors of opportunities. Yes. So. I, I couldn't have said that any better myself. It's like, you know, once I started implementing a few of these little things, you know, I started asking myself like, Hmm, like what else can I do? Like what else can I accomplish? So then I started adding things on and doing bigger and better things. And that was really a huge confidence builder for me is just doing what I said I was going to do, like keeping the small promises to myself. Everybody asks me and I work with my clients a lot on building confidence. And so one of the first questions I ask them and I want your listeners to ask themselves is how often do you follow through with what you told yourself you're going to do, right? Like whether it's wash your car this weekend, read 10 pages tonight, um, you know, go to the gym this evening, whatever it is, large task or small, it doesn't matter what the task is. How often do you follow through, right? Take that percentage. And let's say you have a friend. If you had a friend who followed through with their promises to you, as much as you followed through with your promises to yourself, like, would you trust them? Would you respect them? Like, would you call on them if your life was hanging and you really needed their help? You know, if the answer is no, then no wonder you don't have any confidence because we all have the same internal relationship with ourselves. So every time we say, I'm going to go to the gym tonight, and then you'd be like, ah, I worked really hard today. We come up with some story about why we don't need to do it today. And our confidence drops, our self-worth drops, you know? And we're literally, every time we lie to ourselves, we're just dropping down another peg. But it happens inversely too. Every time we keep our word to ourselves, no matter what it is, we start to build our confidence slowly and surely just by those little promises. So that's the number one way to build your confidence right there is just keeping the promises to yourself. Yeah, your, your confidence definitely increases when you keep your promises to yourself. And also another one that I've just seen for myself is like prioritizing myself and my health. Um, a big thing with like entrepreneurship is you know, you're there and you're setting your goals, right? So you're saying, I have to, I have all these emails. I have all of these like aspirations and goals I want to reach. And then you put your own sanity and your health on a side burner. Like that also is horrible, horrible for your self-worth, right? It doesn't have to always do with how people come into your life and how they interact with you and what you demand from them and how 
you go and you reach out for your, like you reach for your goals, like that's all great. But if you don't balance that with taking care of yourself mm. also, like, and that's something I had to learn because I was all like super ambitious and like reaching for all these goals and like nobody could tell me anything. And if you have any disrespect, like that stays at the door, you know? Yeah. But I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't sleeping well. I wasn't going to the gym, like all of these things. And so that was also affecting my confidence. Right. So, um, yeah, powerful point. Yeah, I agree. And you know, people may call you selfish, you know? Yeah. They, they like, I think that's one of the reasons why me and my ex didn't work out. Oh, you always got to go to the gym. You always got to like, yeah, like I got to take care of myself or I'll be using again soon. You know, if I don't take care of my mental, uh, like if I don't take care of my mind, body, spirit first before business, you know, I'm just going to fall apart. So, you know, don't ever let anyone call you selfish for putting yourself first, because if you're not putting yourself first, then you really can't give your full self to anyone and everybody loses. Well, you had to, you had to face that right off the bat with your dad, right? Like you had to put your interests before the expectations that your father was. And this was the guy that you looked up to when you were younger. Yeah. I wanted to make him proud. Yeah, absolutely. So how did that, like, you just completely changed. You just completely changed and you're like, forget it. And you got, what was it? The fight that you guys got into? Um, because, well, just basically, I saw the type of life that that led to, led to for my father. You know, like, he's doing, he's doing pretty well now, but, you know, he struggled for a long, long, long time. And from where he was, the type of life that he lived, you know, it's nothing in comparison to where he's at now. You know, so I was like, I don't want that type of life. So I, I quickly shifted so like, again, back to that accountability, I, I used to associate drugs and alcohol with fun, a release an escape. But once I started to take accountability for what my life was, I started to associate pills with, with the pain. So like I made that new neurological connection in my head that, Oh, like this is what happens when you take pills. Like it's not fun. It's not a party. It's not an escape. Like this is what happens. So that was a, a switch that took a while to make, but eventually, you know, I, I changed, I changed those thought patterns surrounding that. Yeah. And with it, did you change the way that you viewed your father? Not, not at the time, not at the time that, that came probably about, that was recent, probably about like 18 months ago. So like he grew up in Jersey around wise guys, you know, like, we had ties to the mafia and stuff like, and so that's the type of environment like he grew up in. Like, you don't know what you don't know. You know, if I tell you the right way to count is one, four, six, eight from when you're two years old, that's what you're going to think is right. You know, he was taught like when he was five years old, he told me his, his father, my grandfather, you know, would, would kiss the girl in the car. And he's like, you better not tell your fucking mother you know, at five years old. So that, that once I, so for anyone that has a bad relation, like why, why is he like that? Or why is she like that? Like before you judge, seek to understand. Right. And once I started to understand my father rather than like judge him, why is he this way? He's so fucked up. Oh, why? You know, that's when our relationship really got better. So like, Absolutely. he's still the same way. You know, like he came to my house a few weekends ago 
I was like, dad, no fucking pills, no alcohol. I was like, no, nothing. So, oh, come on, I'm a few. And then I'm like, no, nothing. <laughs> All right. And, you know, when he tells me stories about the past, like, oh, well, if fucking Jerry didn't do this and that, I would still be a millionaire. It's like, I know, dad, you would. It's, yeah. You know, I don't even argue it anymore. You know, what's the point? What's the point of arguing about something that happened 10 years ago? Who's right or wrong? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm just like, okay, that's the story he's telling himself to make him feel better. Yeah. I'm going to let him, I'm going to let him tell himself that story. Yeah. Right? Like why, why, you know, if, if, and I know for a fact, if I tried to, you know, no dad, because you did too many drugs, it's, you know, we would, we would fight again, you know? So I yeah. just choose, choose not to go down that path. Yeah. No. And I appreciate that because um, similar stuff with my background where I had to come to just face the facts that just like you said, they only know as much as they know, right? Like people will go through life and they're called generational like defects, but they, people will go through life just passing on their baggage onto their, onto their children if they never take a moment to stop and question things. And yeah. actually look inside and have a self, like soul searching and self discovery and ex- exploration moment. Like you, that development, it needs to be, it needs, it's a process and it's a painful process, right? And it's a lot of work and a lot of people will not do it. And it's just because they know, they don't know better and then they'll pass it on to their kids. And so, similar, like nothing compared to what you went through with your dad, but yeah, my mother had her own, my father, you know, upbringing, like the way that their parents brought them up and like, just, it it is, uh, it is just being able to acknowledge that it helps us to have a better relationship with them and realize that they're not bad people. They're just, they're just working with the tools that they were given. Yeah. They just have a different belief and value system. And it was, it's based on their experiences that they had as children. Yeah. Yeah. So So you were mentioning that accountability and then being clear on your vision yeah so being clear on your vision so um do you know about so i i'm a i I have a background in neurolinguistics and like that's what i love i love i love to learn about the brain and like why we do what we do and how to change it and how to manipulate it so i remember and again almost instinctively like i didn't everyone always says you know write your goals down read them daily that's how you achieve them but no one actually tells you why people can tell me to do shit all day that's beneficial for me but I'm not going to do it until like I understand why and how it's going to work and benefit me in my life. Mm -hmm. So I started like researching, like, why is this beneficial? Why is this good? And I came to find out that there's a part of our brain called the reticular activating system or the RAS. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, that part of our brain, it basically brings our conscious attention to whatever we're focused on. Right. Cause if we noticed every sound, every car that passed by, every single thing going on, we would have sensory overload. So our RAS essentially blocks out a lot of what's going on around us and brings our conscious awareness just to a few things. It's like, have you ever bought a new car? And then over the next week, you see that same car everywhere. You're like, damn it. You know, it's a sign I have to, <laughs> or if you want to, if you want a, a car and you go shopping for it and you haven't purchased it, you're like, I don't know if I should get it. You see that. And then you start seeing it everywhere because your RAS, it's always been everywhere. It's just like your RAS now is not focused on it, but that's the same thing that happens when you actually write down your goals, read them every day. You know, you'll start to be presented with opportunities, people, places, and things that otherwise would have just gone past your awareness. Yep. You'll soon to notice them. 
right? You'll soon to notice and identify those things. And so getting clear on what you want. And then, like I said, starting small to build your confidence, then building off of those small steps and those small promises to yourself um, was kind of step two. And then going to visualization, it's a huge part of, of my morning routine. I know you have an amazing morning routine program coming up. Um, and my morning routine is, it literally sets the tone for my day. If I don't have the time to do it, or if my kids wake up early and I don't get to finish it, it just, it messes up my mood, my energy for the day. So, you know, our brains don't know the difference, right? Between a feeling we get from a real life experience or a feeling we get from thought alone. Yeah. Like our brains don't know the difference. That's powerful. So everybody, everybody wants to think like, okay, everybody wants to like, operates in do have be like once i do this then i'll have this and then i'll be happy right or have be do or sorry have do be right but you have to be before you do and before you have right so we all act in accordance with how we feel so if you can literally so every morning I close my eyes with my cup of coffee and I imagine three things in the past that have happened that I'm grateful for, like moments with my kids, um, you know, being on the TEDx stage, things like that. And then I switch to envisioning three things that I want to manifest in my life, right? Like, you know, being on Andy, um, Andy Fursella's podcast or you know, speaking in front of like a huge arena, like, and you really have to embody like the emotions, like, what are you wearing? Who's with you? Like you really have to feel it. And sometimes I can bring myself to literal tears, like doing this business, like imagine buying my mom a house and things like that. Like I can, I can bring myself to tears sometimes. Sometimes I do it. I'm like, that was, that was sucked. But other times I can, it's a practice you have to work on. It's going to feel really weird at first. Yeah, yeah. Right. For someone who's not used to doing this. Like at first I heard, I'm like, that's some hippie shit, you know? I'm like, that's not going to work. But again, yeah, so right. I, started, I started researching. I found out that our brain doesn't know the difference. So if you can start, you know, filling yourself up with the feelings of love, prosperity, abundance, and success, first thing every morning, trick your brain into thinking they're happening now because it doesn't know the difference, then you're going to act in accordance that you're already living that life, right? So you're going to act in accordance with what you were visualizing and then eventually with hard work, you can't just visualize and sit on the fucking couch, mm -hmm. but you know, with hard work, you're going to manifest the type of life that you've envisioned. I can't tell you how many times like I've manifested things in my life that almost exactly as I envisioned them, right? Like it just happens very similar to, as I imagine them. Like, when I got the TEDx talk, like I imagined like opening the email and like it happened so eerily similar. Ah to how I imagined it like so many times happening. Yeah, like so, an aha moment. Yeah, I was like, this shit works, mm -hmm. you know? And so now like, I can't go a day without it. And so yeah, visualiz visualization is a huge practice, but I want to emphasize the word practice. Like- you Gotta do it again, you gotta do it regularly every single day. Yeah, exactly. And you got it, it's gonna be weird at first. You're gonna think it's not working. It doesn't have an instant impact. You have to get good at it. You have to practice it to where it has an impact. So if you try it for seven days, you're like, ah, oh, this shit doesn't work. You know, it's not going to work. You know, mm -hmm. you have to be open-minded to, to try new things. And I urge you to do your research on it, you know, yeah. and about, about that, like, I mean, like, you, you know, your listeners as well to, 
to understand why, because I truly believe understanding why and how it really helps implement those things instead of just, oh, visualize and you can do it. Like, no, I think, and it's like the fact that your brain, like you said, like it does not know the difference between what you tell it, like, and what you're feeling and what you are seeing even, and what is like reality. Right. And that's, it's completely true. Uh, like I actually heard a psychologist, I forgot her name, but she made this movement on a writing, like, um, on mirrors, um, I am enough, like with a lipstick, um, and, and just like having people say that to themselves over and over and over and over again. And like, it would make people feel better. Right. It was just crazy because that was like what they were feeding their brain. It's like your yeah. brain, like your brain only knows what you, like you tell it. Your it's brain like, takes everything literal as fuck. Yeah. Like, and so I know for a fact, like that is super powerful. The practice yeah. to do that every single morning, like you don't have, it does not have to be like existing in your life but to be able to say you know like and that's why affirmations are super like incredibly powerful too like Mm -hmm. to tell yourself like i am capable i am worthy like i'm gonna do this and nobody's gonna stop me like having that present and being able to tell yourself that and and being committed to doing that practice every single day can have amazing amazing results it can but it can also it could work inversely as well that's why nothing no event happens in people's lives and all of a sudden they're depressed for weeks why is because they're constantly running through a past experience in their head and their brain thinks it's happening now they think they're going through it now so they become depressed so you have to be you know self-awareness is key i'm very self-aware now and I catch myself, so I'm not perfect. You know, I still, even though I know these things, doesn't mean I implement them 24 seven, 365 days a year. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I catch myself slipping sometimes. And I got to call myself the fuck out. I got to talk to myself more than I listen to myself. And everybody has to, I feel. Because we all listen to that little voice in our head, right? That wants to keep us in a comfort zone and tells us we're not good enough and we can't do it. But we never go, no, motherfucker, that's not true. Like yeah. I'll literally say that to myself, like, yeah, smack like, yourself. In- <laughs> yeah, I'll be like, no, you're lying to me. Like get out of my head. Intellectually and- smack yourself yeah. in the face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so that's huge. And then the fourth aspect to my change was fitness, right? I think fitness is it's the number one way to shift your identity of who you are and your life will always align with who you subconsciously believe that you are. Right. So, you know, I like to equate it to a temperature. So if you, if you're living at a life that's 85 degrees, right. And your life gets to 80, 78, you're going to do whatever it takes to get back up to 85. Right. But also if your life starts getting better, heating up to 90, 92, you'll self-sabotage yourself to get back down to the 85 degree level. So you have to change your internal belief of who you are and like the goodness you deserve out of life. And I believe the gym is the easiest way to do that because it's really hard to change mental patterns and mental habits. Right. And, but it's a lot easier, I think, to change your physical habits and physical patterns. So it's always easier to, you know, just do one more rep, to do one more set, to run one more lap, you know, to swim one more, one more lap. You know, it's a lot easier to be able to start building that mental muscle, right? And once you start to see changes in your body, and once you start to break through some physical limitations that you've had, it opens up the door to believing you can make change in other areas. 
right? Mm. Like the, the gym for me, it's my mood shifter, it's my confidence builder, and it's my tone setter. Interesting. Right? I never even... Yeah. I never saw it like that. That's a good point. Yeah, it's my mood shifter, my confidence builder, and my tone setter. So if I don't go to the gym for a few days, I'm like, why am I tired? Ah, I haven't been to the gym in three days. Like, that's why. You know? So it's, there's a direct correlation to how hard I push myself physically because life is going to throw shit at you. You're going to go through tough times. But if you're already pushing like your body to its limits and then beyond, you're going to be able to handle the mental and emotional pain that you experience when life fucking smacks you in the face. So I put myself through physical pain, you know, to be able to handle that mental and emotional pain when the time comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also back to kind of the neurolinguistics, you know, um, physical fitness increases your neuroplasticity by up to 33%, right? So neuroplasticity is basically your brain's ability, like you were saying before, kind of your brain's ability to rewire itself. So when you drop old habits and you pick up new ones, your brain is literally changing its physical and chemical structure. That's why it feels so weird because your brain's literally changing and it's, it wants one neural pathway to fire. It's like, yo, smoke that bowl, smoke that bowl, do it, do it. But then when you don't do it and you don't listen to it and you go to the gym or you read a book instead, right? Yeah it starts to be like, okay, it didn't work that time. So it'll try a few more times, but then if you don't listen to it, it'll just say, okay, we don't need this neural pathway anymore. And your brain will shut it off. It'll still be there, but it'll just be inactive. So, and you'll start to activate a new neural pathway in your brain for the gym or for reading or for whatever you're doing. So you'll start to activate these new neural pathways and physical fitness allows, makes your brain more plastic, makes it more malleable, right? It makes you be able to mold it into the type of person you want to become. So not only does it do those things I mentioned before, it makes change in every other aspect of life easier. And is that because like you're constantly challenging it? Like you're constantly... I don't know, the, nothing, I don't know the reason. There's nothing that's like stable because you're like, you can't get used to something because you can constantly push yourself in the gym. You're constantly going to like pushing yourself to the next level right so is it like i don't know but i'm just wondering that makes logical sense but (laughs) it makes logical sense yeah that really does that makes good sense (laughs) but i've never seen like any any document any papers or any podcasts that have said why it increases your nor i think it's relatively Uh, gotcha plasticity is still so new in like the science you know there's so much we don't know about the brain um, and, and about how it works. So this is still all relatively new. So I, I'm actually going to write that down because I'm interested in finding out like why, but that does make sense. Kind of like, you know, if you're pushing yourself beyond your limits, it's going to never get used to it. Like it can never adapt. Exactly. Yeah. Huh. I like your, I know your five points. Your last one is like, is so important. Um, faith. Yes. That's beautiful. Thank tell you. Us, tell us what it means to you. So, so I'm Christian, right? But I never talk like whatever your higher power is, right? I'm never going to preach anything and push my religious beliefs on anybody else, but I'm Christian. I believe in God and Jesus Christ. And, you know, my whole entire life, right? I always kind of went to church to like check a box, you know, like just to be like, yo, I'm here. Do you see me? I mean, do you see me here, God? I did oh. it today. To check a box. Yeah. Like, to, yeah. Like I wasn't. Yeah. Like your duty. 
invested in it. I, I yeah. didn't do it to serve God or to get better myself. I just did it because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So whenever things were going bad in my life, I would go for a few weeks or two months mm -hmm. and be like, yo, God, like, haven't you seen me for the last seven weeks? Where are my blessings? I, yeah, where the hell are my blessings? I've been praying. Fuck <laughs> it. I'm not going anymore. And then I would stop, you know? So something that's really, and this has just been recently in the past, past year or so, right? Um, I heard a pastor say, you know, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship, right? Like don't practice religion. You have to practice that building that relationship with God. Mm -hmm. And then once I really started doing that and focusing, started reading my Bible for the first time ever, I've never opened up a Bible in my life. And, you know, I started just before I didn't even know if the Bible was true. I was like, yeah, I believe in God and Jesus, but I don't know. It's an old book, you know, but I just, now I just have like blind faith. I just know it's true. I, cause I've, I've seen the impacts like it's had in my life ever yeah. since I've shifted my faith and shifted my belief. Like I'm a testimony to it. So, mm -hmm. you know, like now I used to always pray, you know, God, please let me close this deal. Please let me get this client, you know, please let this date go. Well, please, please, please give, 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 you know, now when I pray, like I thank God for another day for another, you know, day alive. I thank God for the things I have in my life. I pray that I have the ability to help people through my message and through my story, but I don't pray for anything for myself anymore because what I have in, what I have in mind for myself, like the blessings that God has in for me are tenfold. Like I can't even comprehend what he has in store for me if I'm his path. Okay. So, so I pray now for his will to take place in my life. Mm -hmm. I don't like, yo, if it's closing that client, if it's not closing that client, whatever it may be, it's your will. And I know it has a higher purpose for me. So I don't pay, pray for the things I want anymore. I pray for his will to take place in my life for me to walk in the path that he's made for me. And ever since I started doing that, like my business has exploded. My life has exploded. Everything has just transformed it's like everything's falling into place literally i was banging my head against the wall for 18 months like why isn't this working why can't i get any paid speaking engagements why can't i get any more clients and literally like a week after i heard that relationship to religion and i started shifting my focus and my belief and the way that i prayed like boom 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 i literally had the largest revenue week i had like two weeks after i heard that sermon so I was just like, it's crazy. this is some powerful stuff. And yeah. so that's what made me a believer is huh. like seeing the impact that it's made in my life. And I was always reluctant. I was like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't talk about God because it'll turn some people off and da, 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 da. But like at this point anymore, like, I don't care. I know it's going to, it may turn some people off and that's fine, but it's yeah. going to bring the ones that I'm meant to help closer to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's the way I, I can't help everybody. My message and my story mm -hmm. is not for everybody. So that's the way, you know, that's the way I see it now. Yeah. So faith for you is a big, is a big part. Right. And I think, I think that can also be seen. I mean, faith in general is just like believing in something and having like complete certainty that's going to happen, even though you haven't seen it yet or obtained it yet. Right. Yeah. So like that in life is super, super important. If there's something you're trying to accomplish, if there's a change that you're trying to make, you know, and it comes in like internally, externally, like having that faith that you'll achieve that also is, is a super, is super important in, in being able to get to that, into that position. 
Um, but yeah, I think when it comes to God, me personally, my whole, like my whole problems growing up were religion based. So now in my adult life, I've had to work on separating those two because it is very different being spiritual and being religious, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I do believe, like, I like to believe that and I, and I identify with just as being a spiritual person, um, because I, 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 like you're saying, like putting the blame on other, like there's no blame there on, on, on God or anything like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it's like having to have make that dis- discon- uh, disconnect. Um, but yeah, so I have to say when it comes to being able to feel like, Hey, there's something out there that's so much more superior that that has your back no matter what that is the only thing really that you can trust other than maybe like sometimes you can't even trust yourself so you know having that person out there that's looking out for you or, or i mean that you know thing power, out there, power, <laughs> power. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like it's it really helps to keep us grounded and when i look at where i'm at just like you have when i look at where i'm at i have my health I'm in a good position. I'm helping people. And it's like, I look at where I came from, where I could have ended up. It's like, that wasn't just me. Right. Yeah, like I exactly. have to, exactly. I have to face the, like I put myself into some pretty sketchy situations and nothing's happened to me. Thankfully. Yeah. I should and, be dead. Like what I've, everything I've done, man. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you just have to face the facts sometimes and just be real and just at least be open-minded. Like, don't be so ignorant or like, don't be so close-minded that you're like, you won't even be open to the idea that there was another force there that was helping you out. Right. Yeah. So that's our fifth one. So your first is accountability is holding yourself accountable. Um, Go actually go ahead. And if you want to review all five of them, really. Yeah. So accountability, like everything is your fault. Like just get in in that mindset, right? Like even yeah. if something like isn't, like I said, something happened to your child, just get in the mindset that everything is your fault. Um, getting clear on your vision and slowly with small action steps, building your confidence to be able to eventually act on it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, visualization, fitness, and faith. Fitness and faith. Yeah. Beautiful. Powerful stuff. And your, you actually have in a free ebook if people wanted to look at your five components here your five concepts to success or you know mastering your mindset and they can get that if they want it on your website right yeah, correct uh jimmy falco.com d-e-f-a-l-c-o.com yeah yep. perfect so i'll go ahead and i'll give everybody your contact information if they wanted to reach out to you through email they wanted to check out your free ebook um, or anything else that you're doing um, in regards to speaking gigs and coaching. Um, and also if they wanted to connect with you on Instagram. Uh, and so like you mentioned, your website is www.jimmydefalco.com. Uh, your Instagram handle is Jimmy underscore DeFalco. And your email is Jimmy at jimmydefalco.com. Jimmy D at jimmydefalco.com. Jimmy at Jimmy D. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, so yeah, thank you so much for the time, Lori. And if for anyone, if this message resonated with you, if, um, you know, you would like to learn more, I'm actually launching right now. I do one-on-one coaching, Mm -hmm. but I'm uh, transitioning to kind of more of like a group program.
I'm, if you want to be considered for that, I'm only accepting uh, 10 to 15 people. I'm not exactly sure yet. Um, go ahead, DM me on Instagram, email me. We'll hop on a 30 minute call, see if you're a good fit for the program. And um, yeah, I would, I would love to chat with some of you guys. Wonderful. Well, you heard it from him. <laughs> Powerful stuff. Thank you so much for being on today. I truly appreciate you being completely vulnerable and sharing your story and how you came about your amazing transformation to be where you are now, living a completely beautiful life and just having full control over your life and being able to live on your own terms. So thank, thank you so, you so much. much for that. One last thing I want to touch on is that like some people may hear my story and be like, well, I'm not like him. Like bullshit. Stop mm -hmm. lying to yourself. Stop. I'm not special. I'm not different. I just literally took it day by day, action by action. So if I can do it, anyone can do it. Love that. Thank you so much for that final message. Yeah. Thank you again for being on and for everybody else. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. That concludes this episode. If you enjoyed it, feel inspired, and would like to hear more, please subscribe to the Relentless Minds podcast via the link in the show notes or visit LoriJimenez.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.